You're listening to the Your Queer Story podcast, the podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism, led by your favorite hosts, Evan Jones and Paul Hobbs. Trigger warning. Our content covers centuries of LGBTQ plus stories, and occasionally we may use outdated language or cover topics that include violence, assault, homophobia, transphobia, as well as other injustices against marginalized communities. Make sure you subscribe and review wherever you are listening, and be sure to follow us on all social media at Your Queer Story. And if you want exclusive content, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. You're here, now let's get queer. We need like an uh, an apprentice, or not an apprentice. What are they called? Intern. An intern. An intern that edits for free. <laughs> <laughs> we don't. We don't have money. If you know someone, <laughs> no, or someone just to give us more more revenue. But the thing is, like the podcast has always been a hobby for us, which we love. And right. That's fine. It's fine being that. But if we're ever going to expand, it's going to take a lot of work of like recruiting more advertiser advertisers yeah, and sponsors, and we got to treat it more like a business than a hobby. But we just don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have it in me. We're both doing our own things all the time. We both have our relationships, which are wonderful <laughs> and take a lot of time. And it's and I yeah, there's a lot of stuff. I got good things that I focus on that I really. Mm-hmm. And I I swear, since quarantine, I thought I was gonna be so like have so much more free time. I'm uh-huh. like, I literally am never leaving the house, so this is gonna be great. But I have taken that free time and put it into other yeah. areas you know the time that would have been my commute in the morning yep. which a commute sucks but it's also time where you can listen to music and disconnect yeah and the time that maybe i would be home for an hour and david's still at work or you know there's all these little times mm-hmm. that you would ha- have downtime that now that quarantine's here you don't yeah and rather than saying hey i used to have like two and a half hours of disconnect time every day I just fill that time with more co- yeah, other, other you know, whatever hobby or whatever thing I want to try out. And yeah, that's why. Yeah, I feel like I've aged during quarantine. <laughs> well, Samantha said um, the other day she she was telling someone our therapist because I'm open about our, we go mm-hmm. to therapy because it's just healthy. And so and she's like, Evan just manages to fill every moment like you think he's going to have a free moment and he does. And he's like, oh, I'm working on this. Oh, I'm doing this. And that is true. And I'm a very compartmentalized person. I'm like, OK, is this family time? Then this is family time. This is what we're doing. I'm the same way. But I'm if like, it's not yeah. family time. Then I'm fucking working on shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. David actually told to me he's like, because one day I had to punch out of work at like noon i took a half day uh-huh. i messaged my boss everything yeah. you know i'm like hey I, I can't do it and i literally went and i laid in my bed and i tried to put the tv on and just mm-hmm. like disconnect and watch the tv but even that was too much i like literally yeah. just laid in my bed and just stared at the ceiling for six hours like literally i i couldn't even think well, and david was like well that's probably because you are always doing something and your body is just done yeah that's what Samantha says to me, too. And I'm like, I don't really feel like I do that much. <laughs> Meanwhile, <laughs> the whole time, it's that idea that like I need to do more. I have to be doing yes. more. And I and I actually talked to my therapist about this as well. And mm-hmm. she's like, well, you can want to improve yourself, but you also have to be happy with where you're at today. Yeah. And I'm like, I am happy where I'm at. 
but I can continue to do better. I struggle with that a lot because I, it's not that I'm not happy with myself. Like I'm proud of the person that I oh, become. Oh, exactly. But I, I do constantly think, oh, but, but I got to do more. Like I have to get, I need to get these things done. I mean, I've mm-hmm. got to make my life count and I've got to, yeah. See, my I, I thing isn't a fear of not making my life count. I just like, I told her that if I could just be paid full time, like if my job was just to sit in a room with a computer and is whatever books or knowledge I had around me and I could just learn full time, I would do that. Like I just want to absorb information. Yeah. And it's not because I want to necessarily put that information back out in the world. I just like to know things and I yeah. like to learn and I like to know how to do things. Like I still want to learn how to play the violin, the guitar. Um, I have like <laughs> a long list of things, things I want to learn how to do. Yeah. And there's no reason I want to learn how to do it. I just want to. I, I mean, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I would have like three organizations launched by now if it, I, if I had more time. You're a little quiet. You need, I think you just need to lean in a little I, more. Well, I'm trying because there I, I, that's, that's I've good. had the same cold. It's not COVID. I've had the same I cold. I swear to God, Evan. For fucking, <laughs> well, I've had it for weeks, Paul. So you've already <laughs> been exposed to it. And so I feel like I've been breathing especially heavy. <laughs> to, to the, people probably were happy actually that we had Vima and David on for two episodes because they're like, <laughs> It was a nice break for us. It's not. (laughs) I just breathe so heavy. Anyways, but yeah, I don't know. All that to say, we probably are not as gentle on ourselves as we should be, but I don't know. But I also, I will say that I really love the things that I'm doing, whereas before I felt like I had to shove all the stuff in because I hated my work. And so after work, it was finding something that fulfilled me. Mm -hmm. Now I just have a lot of things that fulfill me and it's addictive and I want to keep doing it. It does feel good. Like I recently started writing on Medium and I never would have considered myself a writer. I probably still don't consider myself a writer, at least not yet. But there's something therapeutic about expressing things in written word because you can, it's easier than when you speak, I feel like, because you can convey it. And usually what I do is I write something and then I come back to it the next day and I reread it and then I edit it and I move things. And it's like, it just feels so much more... I don't know, pure, therapeutic. It just feels yeah. great. Yeah. Writing is great. It is. I've so learned I'm that. Glad, I'm glad that you have that platform now. And eventually you will... Sh- well, I mean, I know you're sharing it on Medium, but eventually you'll share it more. Yeah, I'll rather. I'll share the links eventually. I want to kind of get more established. Yeah. Not established, because that's you're never truly established <laughs> in your own mind, but... I just kind of want to get a base down and kind of feel out what I'm doing and yeah. everything will be, everything's public. You can go see it right now, but yeah. I just haven't shared the links directly on my social media or anything yet. Yeah. All right. Well, we should get into uh, our October. It's finally here. My favorite month of the year. Yeah. Um, we were actually supposed to be getting married this month and of course, coronavirus, you know, kind of trashed <laughs> that. So now... Yeah. I'm like, do I want to wait another year to get married in October or am I going to do a spring wedding? Even though I've never wanted a spring wedding. Well, then don't do a spring wedding. I mean, what does it matter at this point? I don't know. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's, you guys, yeah. It's been th- it's been 84 years. <laughs> well, it's not like in the past where like if you getting married was like you could actually live together yeah. and really start We are life. basically, we, we basically have been living as a married couple for at least four years yeah now, for like, a long time yeah for a while so i mean it is nice it is nice being married the, there's the fear is it. i mean we're both still so young but there's always that fear that if something were to happen yeah and we're not legally quote-unquote bound yeah. then 
certain people in each of our lives may come for thing yeah things yeah no i get that and that's true mm-hmm. that's true and i mean a lot of people are doing like where they have a small wedding and then they're planning to have a big bash later but well we've talked uh, about even just getting like legally married and then having like the the yeah. thing after but then i'm like is are somebody going to be fucking upset by that you know which i'm sure some people i don't that's the thing. But then at the end of the day, it's like, well, what's going to be best for us? Which right, is what exactly. I it's need what's to best think for of. You. Yeah. Oh, we had friends that did like they got married because they really wanted to get married on the day that they had met. Mm-hmm. So they went and they got legally married and then they had um, a wedding later and they did the whole ceremony again. And it was really sweet. Yeah. See, that's what I would want to do. Just do it again. Married. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, there's a lot of options, but you'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. I'm sure you'll get a text randomly sometime this month. Evan, yeah. you need to be down at the courthouse. That's, that's what I'm <laughs> expecting. That's what I'm expecting. So it's fine. But all the romance aside, what we're really talking about. True, and true crime. That's right. My favorite genre. Mm-hmm. If you look at my YouTube channel, yeah. the recommended videos. Number one is like top five serial killers caught on camera. <laughs> Then the second video will be like five disturbing uh, CCTV footage found on the internet. Then the third one will be like, girl eats pot brownie and does makeup. Then the fourth one will be like, here's how this game is the best game they've released in 2020. Then the next one will say, the pizza box killer. Wow. Just, that's, that's how that's it goes. That's it. My okay. life. Wow. I have a lot of energy today. I think I, I, I <laughs> ate two donuts and I'm having some coffee. We're and- like flip flop today because <laughs> normally I'm the one who's talking about a minute and Paul's like, I don't know, I just... Gotta kind of get it together. And I gotta now, get all of these <laughs> words out at once. <laughs> no, it's see, mine is like all in podcasts, but I really only listen to one podcast just because they've covered every serial killer, and I like listening to them. But there's a lot of really good murder podcasts out there. So there are. I like to um, watch them though because sometimes they'll show either crime yeah. scene photos or they'll like, um, you know, show pictures of the person, and it kind of puts it a better picture into my head. Yeah. But I do listen to also. Like four true crime podcasts, so yeah, I like watching the trashy remake movies of them. Like when our next episode, we'll talk about it, which wasn't that trashy of a movie, but it was. Um, we're gonna talk about Eileen Warno, so mm-hmm. we're gonna talk about the movie Monster. But this, the best one is still the Lizzie Borden, Kristen Stewart, whatever the fuck I watched last <laughs> the year. The lesbian still romance, my favorite. I I love those because they're so over the top like in whenever it's the same sex romance they're like so over the top in the affection and uh, not the affection the affection like the sex scenes right? yeah like it, it's just ridiculous so they were like well th- this is a lesbian couple so clearly we could co- focus on the murder but really we're gonna show 16 <laughs> sex scenes yeah and then like <laughs> so, 10 seconds of murder exactly so <laughs> we're gonna me- definitely show a lot of boobs and then yeah we'll throw in some murder whatever but that's not really what this is about <laughs> exactly no 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 this is a love story exactly with murder in it unfortunately yes yes that's that's a perfect <laughs> description of how hollywood thinks Female serial killers or female killers. Are. It's all based in sex. <laughs> so anyways, but we'll get to that. That's not what we're talking about today. But before we do that, um, just make sure you check out our Patreon. I've got a lot of Coffee with Evans that are there. And uh, now that my kids are in school, I can start recording videos again. There's also a free video that's on our Patreon and our social media about domestic violence because October is also Domestic Violence Awareness Month. It's worth, it's worth a watch even if you don't think you've ever experienced it yeah. because you might have and just never knew. Yeah, exactly. And you also might be able to spot the signs in other yes. people. 
And it's really important because I focus obviously on LGBTQ relationships. If you work with victims of domestic violence or any in any way, it's important to watch that because what happens a lot is both individuals get arrested, both individuals get blamed, or people get caught up in like who's the man and who's the woman yep. rather than the fact that someone is being abused. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to understand the dynamics. But that so that video is out there and it's for free on Patreon and our YouTube. Yep. And make sure you like, subscribe, download, and share whatever platform you use. If you are on Spotify and you cannot like or review, um, if you could do that on either Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or even if you just want to tweet us or share post on Facebook or whatever um, any little bit helps and uh, really helps the podcast grow yeah so without further ado mm-hmm. um, as we launch into October there are many things to celebrate it's LGBTQ plus history month we're just a few days before national coming out day on October 11th and also October serves as the original pride month also this airs on the 7th and on the 8th is International Lesbian Visibility Day. There you go. (laughs) And also on the 9th is when the notorious queer killer Eileen Wernos was put to death, which we will cover in our next episode. But, you know, it's just interesting that she was put to death on October 9th. Lesbian Visibility Day was on the 8th. National Coming Out Day is on the 11th. She was just sandwiched in there. She was. Um, but yeah, so October has always been a very queer month. And But all of that aside, what we really care about is queer true crime. And October is your queer story's true crime month. We've been excited about this. Our, it, it's, my yeah. favorite topic, one of Evan's favorite, I assume. Yes, but yes. It's, I, I don't know what it is about true crime that is so appealing. I think it's the fear that you can feel while you're listening to it but mm-hmm. also the fascination of how somebody could do this it's it's yeah. like so many different elements that it, you just get this feeling in your body of <laughs> what's happening it's right now it's shock it's just it's the depravity it's mm-hmm. wondering how human beings get to that point and and then like hearing their backstory of like what led to it which in mm-hmm. this story it's a little frustrating because there's not really a backstory he's just an asshole, it's, he's just an <laughs> asshole. When we talk about Eileen, like there is a really tragic backstory and it's just like, you know, we, we want to know why. And the reality is that a lot of times there's not really a reason why. Right. And it's sometimes some people are just born and they just, yeah. you know, when you think about looking at someone's appearance, everything, everything looks different on everybody. Mm-hmm. So when you think about it, like w- who's to say that every brain isn't different, everybody doesn't experience things differently. Like, yep you have to take that into account when you understand how could somebody do that? Well, not everybody's the same. Exactly. Exactly. So we thought what better way to kick off the month than to start with the underrated serial killer, the last call killer, which was not, I mean, in all my readings, I had never, I had heard about the last call killer briefly once because he was a gay serial killer, but that was, but it was just like the name, you Mm -hmm. know, before we begin, we want to put out a trigger warning for the entire month of October. We yes, will... you're getting it now. Exactly. I don't want to get any messages <laughs> that said, I can't believe you shared that. That was horrible. I'm so triggered. You're what? getting it now. I'm sorry, but yeah, I mean, we are. And just... if you fast forwarded through our talking and you skipped this, that's, that's your... not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put it in the thing as well. But like, honestly, if you look and see that we're covering a serial killer, you should always assume that there's going to be blood, gore, violence, assault, sexual abuse, homophobia, queer phobia, transphobia, and more. And everything that could make you feel horrible. But isn't that why you're listening to true crime anyway? <laughs> it's true. That's, it's true. That's the whole point. And if you're not up for any of that, then please check out some of our past episodes. Last year's Halloween episode discusses why October was the original Pride Month, and our History of Drag episode discusses the art behind many of the fabulous looks that are 
sure to be revealed this year. But for those of you still here and ready, oh, wow, I spelled here wrong. I think that was an autocorrect. I spelled it a bit like here, like listening. Listen, when I was putting your script up last time, you know how many things I had to, every Puerto Rico was spelled wrong. <laughs> no, that I'm telling you, it's the program is it's starting to like re-fix my things. I don't know what it is. It's going to be in an entirely different language soon. <laughs> it's just like slowly, it's all in windings and I'm like, whatever. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? I don't know why it's doing it. I swear. There was another spell. word that every single one was wrong, but I don't remember what, what word I told it was. you it's because if I accidentally click on like to add this to the dictionary instead of clicking on fix then it just changed every you single one dictionary then i don't have time all right <laughs> but for those of you who are still here and ready <laughs> for that queer true crime let's get into the life and mind of serial killer richard rogers nickname the last call killer it was late in 1989 when musician rick Unterberg first noticed the man he described as nearly forgettable enter the townhouse bar off East 58th Street in New York City. The piano bar had served as a queer-dominated space for more than 30 years. In the late 80s, the bar was no doubt a, a reprieve to countless LGBTQ people seeking a few hours away from the chaos outside. The AIDS panic was in full swing as many New York establishments stopped ignoring the crisis and instead turned to open bigotry and discrimination for suspected carriers, uh, carriers of the so-called gay disease. Just two years earlier, both Randy Schultz's moving portrayal and the band played on and Larry Kramer's organization, Act Up, had hit the New York scene. Yet the good both would eventually do was yet to come as the initial backlash against the LGBTQ rocked the community. It's always, I don't know how anybody got through the late 80s. I'm the 80s honest. sound for for queer people just sound <laughs> like hell. Like It was an ongoing nightmare. The amount of serial killers you had running around, the AIDS pandemic. And not only just the serial killers, but if they were targeting queer people, the police didn't give a fuck. The so queer like, bashing, yeah. yeah, which we'll talk about in this episode, the queer bashing, like... It was just like an open torrent of like, yes, you're all out, and now we're going to treat you the worst. Thanks for identifying can. yourselves, because now that we've identified you, fuck you. <laughs> exactly. Now we can even more. We can kill you, you. We can let you die, and nobody will. And be nobody's upset gonna about give it. a fuck. Nobody's going to care. Yeah. It. It literally. Every time we're covering something. In the 80s, it's always horrible. It's always Let's just tragic. say if gay people descended from other gay people, like if gay people could reproduce and produce more gay people, there would yeah. be no gay people left because they just were wiping them out left they, and right. They were. They really were. They were doing the best that they could. Mm -hmm. and, and they that's what they believed. They believed that gay people made other people gay, so they were trying to eradicate mm -hmm. them. Across the, country, uh, across the country, several states attempted to implement rights for gay couples or to ban anti-gay discrimination. However, time and time again, the bills were repealed before they ever went into effect. In October of 1989, Cosmopolitan magazine ran an article that essentially blamed bisexual men for the spread of AIDS, further fanning, this, further fanning the flames of homophobia and biphobia in New York City, as well as the rest of the world. Repeated rejection combined with the mounting death toll of AIDS victims spurred a 4,500 member protest on December 10, 1989. Organized by ACT UP and WHAM, the, the band. Huh? The wham, the band. Wow, yeah. good for them. Yeah. The demonstrators overtook St. Patrick's Cathedral to call out the church's open bigotry. 150 protesters were eventually arrested. However, to this day, it's still one of the largest demonstrations against a religious organization in United States history. 
It was in the middle of so much chaos and fear that one individual decided to further wound the LGBTQ plus community. Imagine being a super religious like homophobe and then all of a sudden 4,500 queers just show up and they overthrow your, yeah. your church. Well, have you seen the, in, in the last season of Pose, they, they recreate that scene. That's oh, I haven't when they, seen it yet. So. Okay, well, it's, I'm not really spoiling yeah. anything, but they march into a church and they lay on the floors, which is what they did. They laid, they did, they would do die-ins, act up, which we'll cover act up probably next year. Mm-hmm. Um, act up and they would go into the like they would go in front of government buildings or wherever but in the church they went and they would lay down and they would just show all the people that are dying but yeah 4,500 people showing up to Catholic Church at Mass wow that's that's incredible that would be shocking like just like yeah. the sheer number of people just pouring in yeah. yeah. Well, that was the brilliancy of Larry Kramer, who will also talk more about more about like his. He understood that that's what people needed. Like you need to be shocked into waking the fuck up to mm-hmm. what's happening. Anyways, not much is known about the early life of, of Richard Rogers, born on June 16th, 1950 and raised in Massachusetts. Richard was one of five children in the late 60s and early 70s. Rogers attended the University of Maine, initially studying French. Don't Very know. interesting choice. That's what you decided to major in. I don't. It's a weird. Also, like I don't know. Maybe it's a weird thing. Maybe he wanted to. Maybe be he like, wanted to be like a French teacher. Maybe he wanted to go to France. Who knows? Maybe know. he wanted to go to Canada. Richard's first known scuffle with the law came the same year Maine had its last sodomy trial. In the 1973 case, State v. Pratt, a man was accused of raping a young boy and tried for sodomy. Yet conflicting testimony from eyewitnesses. And what appeared to be the coercion of the boy by his father eventually took the case to Supreme Court. Which, how about rather than trying him for sodomy, why don't you just try him for like well, that, child rape? That's the whole thing, and that's why the it's. It, I could not. I found the actual case, and I've linked it in in our references. But it, it's still hard to read. A, a, you know, in mid the jargon, but basically. What it sounds like is the father had a problem with his gay neighbor. His little boy goes, the neighbor, the guy, Pratt, owns a bicycle shop. And one day he finds the neighbor boy in his bicycle shop. So he like grabs him by the neck and throws him out. The little boy runs out crying. The father then tells his son to tell people that Pratt raped him. So, so what the, an asshole. <laughs> exactly. So the, so the boy, like, so the father tells people that like the boy ran up to him and his pants were down and, and he was crying and he told him that the, the man had, had raped him. Um, but na- other neighbors who lo- saw the same thing, never saw the boy run out with the bicycle shop with mm-hmm. his pants down, never saw anything. They saw him run out crying. They saw Pratt push him out of the bicycle shop, but they never saw anything. Right. So it goes all the way up to the Supreme court and keep going. They'll yep. tell you what. So the result was the conviction being overturned due to the fact that the trial judge had instructed uh, that simply touching the penis was enough for a sodomy charge. So in the first trial, the judge's like, if, if, if he even touched the penis, then it's a sodomy charge. Again, don't know why we're doing sodomy charges, but just say if you touch right. a penis, that's sodomy charges. Wow. That, I've, wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> However, the Supreme Court ruled that penetration was necessary for a conviction and that point had not been proven. The blatant conflation of pedophilia and with homosexuality, along with what was possibly a completely fabricated story, shows the homophobia of the day. Still, the story no doubt made the rounds in the LGBTQ main community. So the reason that this is put in there because it just it was interesting to me that it comes in 1973, and we'll see why that's an important year for Richard Rogers, but. It was it was a big story, and it seemed, and again, I don't know because there's just not a lot of information about State First Brat, but it seemed very much like the state was trying to get rid 
uh, a homosexual man and claimed that he had had raped a boy. Right, get rid of his business. Exactly. Give that to a good old straight boy. Exactly. And and they couldn't. And then the Supreme Court overrule, overturns it, but really only on a technicality of you can't claim that touching right. a penis is the same as sodomy. And still nobody answers why he's being charged with sodomy and nobody knows what happened to the actual little boy and right. like what was the little boy like molested like nobody knows any of that mm-hmm. it just seems like it was a whole fucking made up story and you know but Did the little boy come out and write a book later no no, no there's nothing else later i couldn't find any follow-up on it wow. but it matters because that kind that shows you the the the, the tone around homosexuality yeah, in the 1970s anybody can say anything and then boom your life is in shambles all of a sudden mm-hmm. exactly so whether richard rogers was out as a gay man in the 70s or whether he ever officially came out or whether he even had friends to come out to is unknown because when I say there's nothing about him, there's nothing. They're like, he was born, and now we're going to jump forward to the age of 22. <laughs> <laughs> but we do know that in 1973, the same year the Pratt case was headed to the, to the Supreme Court, Richard Rogers killed his former roommate, Frederick Spencer. According to Richard, he came home to find Frederick in his apartment. It is possible the two had been more than just roommates and ended up in a bitter breakup. It could also be possible that Richard was threatened by knowledge of his sexuality being revealed or simply motivated by his own self-hatred. Whatever the cause for their intense rivalry, Rogers states that the two began to brawl. The fight ended when the grad student beat Spencer's head in with a hammer, suffocated him with a bag, and then dumped his dead body on a back road. Yet somehow, he was acquitted of all charges and released from custody. That was definitely a crime of passion. Like you don't smash in somebody's skull and then also put a bag over. Like that was like rage. That was pure pure rage. rage. That was, yeah. So here's my theory. I have I have one of three theories on what this, and this is important because this shapes Richard Mm Rogers' life. The most forgiving theory is that Frederick Spencer was a gay man who raped Richard Rogers, and then Richard Rogers killed him in anger. And then went on a rampage against other gay men because he had been raped. That's the for, more forgiving. And I'm not saying I forgive him for that. I'm just saying that like that, that could would explain be the most explain yeah. what I think most likely happened. Most likely is that Richard Rogers was in a relationship with Frederick Spencer and either Spencer thwarted his advances and shut him down and Rogers murdered him in a rage or they broke up. And Spencer threatened to out Rogers and Rogers murdered him in a rage. Mm -hmm. Whatever it was, he beat him viciously with a hammer, suffocated him with a bag and dumped his body on the side of the road and didn't even try to hide it. Like barely on the edge of the woods on the side of the road. And and then because he was a gay man that was murdered. Hey, don't worry about it. You know what? You killed a fag. Get off. It's, It's fine. And I think that also taught Richard Rogers that like, hey, if you do kill gay men, nobody's nobody's gonna give a fuck. Yeah. Uh, you took a you took a gay man off the took street. A queer off the took a queer off the street. Good job. You know you cleaned it up a little bit. Yeah, it's fine. You know don't do it again. But or you just you know you just tell people oh yeah he was a queer and he tre- he made a move on me and they're like well yeah of course I'd kill mm-hmm. him too. You know like, that too. Yeah, it's, it's both of those things. You're justified if you kill a, a gay man. You're um, it's okay if you kill a gay man. Nobody's gonna go looking for them. Nobody's gonna care. The only reason they they even found him was because. Rogers had been so flippant with the way he dumped right, the literally body. Literally just right there, right out in the open. <laughs> so, yeah. So, that, I mean, that was a huge moment in his life. The next 10 years present another gap in Richard Rogers' history, though it seems like he headed down to Florida where he had also had some family. 
There, he continued his education and eventually earned a degree in nursing, which is frightening. In <laughs> April of 1982, Rogers attended a college reunion in Florida. Just a few days later, the body of Matthew Piero was found just off the highway in Lake Mary. Piero's neck showed signs of strangulation along with multiple stab wounds and also bore the indent of a bite mark. However, authorities claimed no suspects at the time and made no arrests. A few years a few years later, Richard resurfaced in New York and soon landed a job as a surgical nurse at Mount Sinai Hospital Sinai. in Ma- Sinai Hospital in Manhattan. Did anybody check these hospitals that he worked at to see if there was just suddenly a spike in deaths? Like, <laughs> I have not seen anything. I, oh, I, I have not this seen man. Anything. But I mean, he's a surgical nurse, so it's really. I, I don't know if there's a spike, but maybe just the the wanting to like cut into a body is like. I mean, I know you're not doing that much as a nurse, but you're at least you're there. witnessing yeah. it and whatever. Maybe you get to participate a little bit. So, like, there's some release. Maybe he thought that would be enough, you know? Yeah. I don't know. In 1988, a victim came forward to tell police that a month earlier, he had accompanied Rogers to his apartment. He claimed that Richard drugged him, and then when he awoke, he was tied to the bed with Rogers on top of him, punching him repeatedly. The killer was arrested and charged with assault and unlawful imprisonment. Yet, before he was... Set to go to trial, Richard was granted a bench trial. These are proceedings without a jury, and the judge acquitted Rogers on all charges. Once again, Richard Rogers was freed and permitted to continue his reign of terror. The police and court's repeated refusal to get involved in gay affairs cannot be overlooked. Just as in the case of Jeffrey Dahmer, homophobia left the queer community open to more harm. Which, did you see that the police officer who released that kid back into Jeffrey Dahmer's care was a is a police chief or whatever? Oh, yeah, in Wisconsin? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and that's the thing. And like, if you haven't listened to our Dahmer episode, I really encourage you to. But it's I, I will never get over the fact that there's a 14-year-old boy who runs naked into the street. He has a hole in the side of his head. He's bleeding from his head and his ass. He runs up to two women and says... Help me. He can't really speak English. He tried, he's begging for help. They call the police. The police show up just as Dahmer shows up. And Dahmer's like, oh, that's my boyfriend. We had a fight. And the police are like, sounds right to me. Phone it in there. They laugh. And they're like, oh, we got a domestic dispute between two queens. And just send this boy back with Jeffrey Dahmer. And that's just that's like, it. well, you know, shit happens. What again? And that is what happens again and again in LGBTQ Things like this, you know, uh, in these these environments, because they just don't want to deal with it. Right. I don't want to hear the, the disgusting details in court. I don't want to hear about your personal life. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter to me. Well, that that's a gay what happens guy if you're gay. Yeah. yeah, right. What do you think? You put two men in the same room, or you know, two whatever, and two people in the same room of yeah. You're not, you know, you're not, you're not following God's laws. Just you're heathens, and you are inviting this kind of life upon yourself. Yeah, well, it's kind of like that idea of like uh, exactly like gay people are not safe, and so if you're gonna go with one. Like the guy um, that went with Richard to his apartment. If you're going to go with him, you should expect that he's probably going to be violent because that's just of how, course he's going to drug you and rape you. Don't are. you know that that's what they do? That's what they do exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> go ahead. By uh, 1990, Richard was established in his role as a nurse on Staten Island and became a frequent barfly at the townhouse. The establishment leans more along the style, of elo- the style of eloquent gentlemen's club, overstuffed paisley print. 
armchairs set off to the side as elegantly carved stools line the long oak bar. Victorian-inspired wallpaper covers the walls with thick green carpeting, um, filling the rooms and surrounding a baby grand piano. Little has changed in the bar's decor over the past three decades, and it seems the quiet atmosphere was a welcome change to Richard Rogers. With with bathhouses and club scenes taking the rap for increasing the spread of AIDS, the nurse no doubt sought safety in the refinery of an upscale bar, which that bar sounds pretty... It does. Pretty beautiful. I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure that uh, Anderson's Cooper still goes to that bar. Oh, like, wow. it, it's like it's continued to be just an upscale, mm-hmm. very white, very quiet, yeah. um, which I thought it was interesting to me that he chose that. Like he didn't choose choose the club scene, but it also could be that he was getting older and he couldn't get lure young men away right. from the club scene as he could when he was younger. Like I have a picture of him in his 30s and he's fairly good looking. But then, you know, by the time he's in his 40s, you're not getting those young boys, right. so then you go for the older men. Mm-hmm. The piano player, Rick Unterberg, said of Rogers, He was dual, just bland. The only reason I remember him is because he always hung around the piano. Unterberg added that Rogers sometimes sang show tunes and was delicate, soft-spoken, and very quiet. Much the same way, Richard's co-worker saw him as a gentle and uninteresting. His boring personality made him seem harmless. Yet past experiences had proven that Rogers could indeed have a very mean and dangerous streak. His personal life is a mystery at this time, though witnesses later testified he was a regular at the queer on the queer bar scene and preferred to frequent the townhouse on Sunday evenings. Yet the pale, middle-aged man drinking a cold scotch at the bar drew little notice and only occasionally seemed to leave with anyone. How boring of a person do you have to be to have absolutely no history of your life from different parts no because relationship, you no can friends. look up different figures in history from like the 1700s the 1600s uh-huh. and have their full biography of like who they were what they were doing where they mm-hmm. were at how do you go from age zero to 22 with nothing and yeah. then again from 22 to 30 whatever and we only know that you killed some people yeah I couldn't but find, you, you have no yeah. friends that said, hey, this guy did this. He, you know, like, how are you that much of a ghost in the real world? I couldn't find a single testimony from a friend, from a sibling. He had five, you know, yeah. five, four siblings. He was one of five. I, nothing. Like, no one was like, uh, no, no relationship. No, I dated this guy for four years. Like, nothing. That's crazy. Yeah. In his younger years, Richards was somewhat handsome with a thin frame, a full head of chocolate brown hair, and dark, wide-set eyes. By 1991, though, he had put on a few pounds and adopted a very drab style. Damn, same. (laughs) Paul's like, I'm attacked. (laughs) Perhaps this was done intentionally in order to further escape detection. On May 3, 1991, a recently divorced banker, Peter Anderson, visited the townhouse after giving a, a presentation to investment brokers. Anderson was exploring his newly embraced homosexuality and partied quite hard. A cab was called for him, which originally took Anderson to his hotel. However, plans changed and Peter left without actually checking into his room. Two days later, a state employee noticed an overstuffed trash bag at a rest stop in Pennsylvania. When he opened the bag, he found the mutilated corpse of Peter Anderson. The banker had been viciously beaten before being repeatedly stabbed. Finally, the murderer had cut off Anderson's penis and shoved it into the victim's mouth. Which that fact right there mm-hmm. shows like self-hatred, I think, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. If you're wanting these homosexual things, but then afterwards, you, not only the murder, obviously that's its own thing, but like the mutilation and then the castration and then like putting yeah. it in somebody's mouth, that's like extreme self-hatred. That's what I mean. Like it seems, and we don't know because um, 
Richard Rogers has never spoken to anyone. Mm-hmm. And, um, he, uh, but we don't know, but like somewhere he got this self-hatred and I think, and that's why I believe that it was with Frederick Spencer, the roommate that he killed. And that's why I believe it continued to escalate. Like he was clearly gay. He was constantly on the gay scene. Like he, there was something there. Maybe he felt rejected by his fellow queers. Maybe he, it was because of his family. Like where is his family? They don't say anything. They never come forward and, and, and express sadness that their son has been arrested later like nothing right so was he rejected by everyone in life what was it i don't know but i agree there was definitely some hatred specifically directed towards gay men also how unfortunate that the this guy's night out partying like he had just got divorced he's embracing himself like he's living his life finally and fucking meets this guy and then that's the end of it and that's and that's why evan and i have always had the motto if you're going home with somebody (laughs) tell your friends yep what they look like, where you're going, all the information, phone numbers you can call, addresses, yeah, everything. Because and, you never know what's going to happen. And that was actually kind of his MO for victims. He found a lot of victims that were older, it seemed like older gay men who had recently come out. Mm-hmm. So you're not, you, because you're new to the scene and because you're older, you don't really understand how it's navigated. You're looking to finally explore the side of you, especially sexually. And right. And then this guy comes around. He's like, Hey, I do this all the time. Just try, I'll show you the ropes. Don't exactly. worry about it. And so, and, and so that's what you do. And, you know, and he takes advantage of that. Though the body was meticulously washed and prints were still found inside the garbage bag and Anderson's clothing were found in a separate trash can just a few days later, police ran the prints, but came up empty and the case eventually went cold. Just over a year later, a computer salesman by the name of Thomas Mokai, Mokahi, visited New York City on a business trip. That night, he enjoyed a few drinks at the townhouse before returning safely to his hotel room. The next day, Thomas presented at the World Trade Center and later met with a colleague for lunch. Makahi informed him that he would be staying in New York to enjoy the city for a few more days. The two men parted ways, and Thomas Makahi was never seen alive again. As maintenance workers cleaned up the trash around a rest stop in New Jersey, one noticed a dark ooze coming from a bag. When he picked the bag up, the severed head of Thomas Makahi fell to the ground. That would be traumatizing. Uh, Just oh, Keep going. Several miles away, another maintenance worker struggled to lift an un- unusually heavy bag from the trash can. When he ripped open the bag to pull the, cl- the contents out, he found two severed legs as well as, a sever- as several other body parts. Can you like just imagine me and the boss getting the call that day? Like one guy's like, eh, boss, I'm going to tell you, there's a head. He's like, oh, okay, don't, don't be ridiculous, Frank. And then like immediately another call is like, boss, I got a bag of legs here. God, that's Jesus so traumatic. Christ. Also, disposing of somebody in that way, like they're just trash like that. Yeah. Another factor of less than and just your garbage. It's uh, that self-reflection of like, I'm like these people and this is trash. And there's also a a weird recklessness because in one hand, he he thinks he's being very clever. And in a way he is. Like the first body, he lives in New York. The first body is disposed of in Pennsylvania. The second body is disposed of in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. He's spreading it out, but he's not really spreading it out. I mean, these these are like these rest stops are like ten minutes apart. Right. All, and then he has his his fingerprints all inside the bags. Mm-hmm. So it's like he's trying to be careful and not get caught. But I also he's also like fuck this. He I might don't not. Know. Yeah, it's weird. 
Yeah. Uh, Thomas McCartney had been stabbed multiple times before he was dismembered piece by piece. Once again, police found several fingerprints inside the bag, as well as a few pairs of latex gloves, which they did manage to track to a CVS on Staten Island. However, the trail went dark, and again, the case drew cold. While the murder of Peter Anderson had drawn little attention, the murder of Thomas McCaughey spread among the New York City gay scene, especially in bars like the townhouse where patrons knew Thomas had, vis- had visited. Police had not made the connection yet between Anderson and McCaughey, possibly because the bodies were found in different states. But the brutal dismemberment of McCaughey did draw attention to the townhouse and its visitors. Ten months after the salesman's murder, a bus driver noticed a human arm sticking out of a trash bag in Manchester, New Jersey. The resulting search found five more bags in various trash cans, all stuffed with human remains. Which, okay, um, first of all, I want to say that definitely p- placing the body parts in different states helped because we know that even within state to state, local mm-hmm. counties don't want at that time yeah. did not share information. Yeah. Then you're taking it state lines, like they're they're not sharing any information. Police were very like, "This is my case. Get the fuck out. I'm gonna solve this." Yeah. Um, and then obviously there was no internet, so they couldn't connect it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and my second point, he's disposing these people in trash cans, but every time they've been found, like, exactly. maybe he's switch it trying. up, like, That's you, what I you're mean, not, the reckless, he's not really trying to get rid of them. Right. It's almost like, uh, they just need I, to be out of my house and this is the best way I know how. Exactly. It's really like, he's I not just trying need to get hide rid them. of this, it, you know? I mean, even if you are going to cross state lines and that does help to muddle the investigation, you're only going a couple hours. Pennsylvania is not that far. New yeah. Jersey is right over the line. For anybody who's not on the East Coast, like we know the rest of the United States is actually <laughs> like spread out. But yeah. states here are the size of like some towns and other like yeah. Rhode Island is so small. Like you can drive all across Rhode Island in like 45 minutes to like an exactly. hour and a half, depending on which way you're going. So like I these, think, yeah, Pennsylvania is like two hours max yeah. from New York and then you City. can get to, yeah. And from here you can get to New York in two hours from here. Mm-hmm. You can get to Massachusetts in 45, 45 minutes. minutes from here. You can get to Connecticut in like half an hour. So yeah. like, it's not like he's going from Northwest Indiana to Kentucky or something, yeah. you know, it's not like he's doing all this work. He's really not. No, he's taking a couple hours out of his mm-hmm. night to go dispose of the body and half heartedly try to cover his tracks. Right. Police were able to identify the body as that of sex worker, sex worker Anthony Morero. Morero had been missing for four days before his body was found. Like Mulcahy, Anthony had been stabbed multiple times before his body was dismembered post-mortem. For the, four, for the third time, fingerprints were found inside the trash bags and shopping bags left near the body parts were again traced back to Staten Island. This time, at least Morero, Morero's and Mulcahy's murders were linked and police began to fear they had a serial killer. Their fears were confirmed just over a month later when another body showed up, this time in Haverstraw, New York, and about an hour outside the city. And I also think around the like late 80s, I think, is where the concept of serial killers came about, because I think before that, they just they didn't have an understanding that somebody would could kill multiple people. I, th- I mean, I'm sure yeah. they did, but I remember I was watching something, and it's kind of like the idea of serial killers really came to be yeah. at that point. Well, the coin the term was coined in the seventies and in the eighties was the peak. We're now in the early nineties. Oh, okay. But but it's that there there was a huge peak and there was a huge knowledge because like if the term's coined and then there's a big boom in the study and psychology of serial mm-hmm. killers and you also happen to have that is the, the decade of the highest amount of serial killers. So there's just one after another and so they are and then this spurs an advancement in technology to track serial killers. 
So it's and, almost like if you grow up with a Republican president othering people, you have a little disregard for human life. <laughs> you think so? Is that what happens? Is yeah, that like, right. Like uh, Reagan's Great America sees the highest spike in serial killers. Yeah. Okay. Wow. <laughs> On July 29th, 1993, Michael Sakara was enjoying a drink at his favorite spot, the Five Oaks Piano Bar in Manhattan. A middle-aged man sat down next to him, and the two men enjoyed a drink together. The stranger said that he was a nurse at St. Vincent's and was new to the Five Oaks Bar. Soon enough, the bar started to close and the two men left together. Two days later, a shop owner in Haverstraw noticed his garbage was overflowing. When he walked over to investigate, he found the severed head and arms of Michael Sakara. The rest of the body parts took nearly two weeks to find as they were scattered in other towns nearby. Like the previous victims, Sakara had been brutally beaten to death before his body was dismembered. <sighs> Law enforcement were not the only ones with concerns. The queer community had heard the details of the previous three killings, including how all three men had been heavily intoxicated when they were murdered. This resulted in the nickname, The Last Call Killer. It was horrible, said Abram Levy, a townhouse cocktail waiter in the early 90s. Every week, there seemed to be another body. When Sakara's body was discovered, the bartender at the Five Oaks notified the police that she had seen Michael leave with the man the night of July 29th, and that she remembered the patron identified himself as a nurse at St. Vincent's. Police pulled directories of several surrounding hospitals and had the bartender look over them. She thought she'd recognized Richard Rogers, but couldn't be positive. It's that thing if he's so, like, dull. generic yeah. and dull. Authorities requested Rogers' attendance and noticed he had been absent on the days following the murders. However, since the stranger had stated he worked at St. Vincent's and not Mount Sinai, police, police let the lead drop. <laughs> well, like, you, know, you know what? The thing is about a serial killer is uh, they don't lie. They, you know, <laughs> if we had been at St. Vincent, we might have followed up on it. But, you know. <laughs> They're like ready to go out. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold up, Harold. This says that this guy works at Mount Sinai, and uh, we know the killer works at St. Vincent. And he's like, oh, wow, then let's just go there at lunch. Yes, a serial killer <laughs> uh, meeting a complete stranger would 100% tell the truth about where he worked, especially when he was meeting him to to have sex with him and murder exactly. him. Exactly. So the near-positive ID and the attendance records, throw all that shit out yeah, the window, yeah, we don't you need know, it. <laughs> you know, you can't, it's got to be without reasonable doubt. <laughs> It's just wow! I swear to God, and like, and people say that we have to fund the police. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. For the next six years, all were quiet, both from the serial killer and the authorities. In 1999, McCauley's ex-wife called the New Jersey police to follow up on the investigation. This prompted the chief to send evidence to Toronto, Canada, for further analysis. They had they had better equipment. I guess so. <coughs> I also That's just, why he was studying French. I guess. <laughs> I guess I I bet like it's the chief. It sounds like like they had just forgotten about it. And yeah, the lady's like, hey, wondering if I could get an update. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, we're working on that. That uh, serial killer that just left <laughs> body parts all over multiple states and oh, trash guy. cans. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we're sitting. We that forgot up. about him, but not, we didn't forget. But we did. Sorry about that. <laughs> it was just the gays he was killing. Mm -hmm. All right, thirty three sets of fingerprints were pulled, and authorities sent out packets of the prints to all fifty states. In 2001, the newly formed task force received a call from police in Maine. The fingerprints taken from Rogers 27 years ago after the killing of Richard's ex-roommate matched the fingerprints on the bags that held the bodies of Anderson, McCahey, and Marrero. Imagine if he had, they had just, like, you know, arrested this guy for murder. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. 
What would have happened? Yeah, just put him in prison right then and been like, oh, no, I'm sorry, buddy. But You, you, you can't know. just kill people. Like, that's just yeah. not how life works. Right. And um, although I didn't put it on here, even though the body of Pereiro, who was the guy found in Florida in 1981, the bite marks matched um, Richard Rogers' uh, dental records, but he was never charged with that. No. There Maybe wasn't just, quite enough yeah. evidence, but they didn't really need to. They had enough yeah. to yeah. Police approached Richard while he was working a shift and told him he had been a victim of credit card fraud. When Rogers com- uh, accompanied them to the station, they flipped the tables on him and began to interrogate him on the deaths of the four men. Though the killer quickly stopped talking and demanded a lawyer, police had enough evidence to grant a warrant. Uh, but just as a pause here, because I, I, not that I want to defend Richard Rogers in any way. I don't, but let me tell you, the police do not care that much about your credit card fraud. So no. if two officers ever show up <laughs> and be like, hey, we just got some questions to protect you. Can you come to the station? You'd be like, fuck no. Right. Never go. <laughs> don't ever go to the police Never. station. Never. Never. Don't follow them. They're not, they are not working for you. No. When they searched Richard's home, they found pictures of naked men with stab wounds drawn on the body, along with a date rape drug and other circumstantial evidence, um, including a Bible with passages about dismemberment highlighted. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know the Bible had that in there. Maybe no, I should read it. Does. It has everything. Rogers was arrested and charged with the murders of both Makahi and Marrero since the evidence was most compelling in their cases. On January of 2006, Richard Rogers was sentenced to life in prison. It only took him, you know, a couple decades. Right. Yet even with the evidence and the conviction, Rogers had still chosen not to answer the biggest uh, request presented to him. The big unanswered question in this case is why, said William Heisler, the Ocean County prosecutor who, who presented the case at a two-week trial in Tom's River, New Jersey. For whatever reason, he was targeting gay men in New York's and New York. We don't know why. We still don't know. We, that's like I said, he has not talked to anyone. There's not a lot of information about him out there. I had to work really hard to find filler, honestly, because I thought it was important to cover, but it just like... There was a lot more information about the actual. He's just a no one. He's just he is a no one that just appeared and then disappeared. Your recommended resources are a short documentary from the series Medical Detective, episode eight, a touch of evil. Episode eight, a touch of evil, which is available on YouTube. There's also an upcoming book, The Last Call, a true story of love, lust, and murder in queer New York by Elon Green, and that is set to release in March of two thousand. 21 and according to my knowledge i think that's the only book that's actually been written on him hey, maybe so that'll have some more answers for us that's what I, yeah we might end up doing a follow-up episode up follow-up episode on this later and you can pre-order the book on amazon if you absolutely want to make sure that you get a copy but that is it and that is mr rogers <laughs> mr rogers mr rogers neighborhood takes a whole different meaning that's right <laughs> so stay queer don't get lobotomy we love your little allied hookers and a little succulent sapphist resist the oppressors our proud homocrats and have yourself a sodomy circus or don't and black lives matter bye bye thanks for listening remember to subscribe and review wherever you are listening and follow us on social media at your queer story like what you heard Want to share your story? Send us a voice message to add to the podcast from the Anchor app or at anchor.fm slash yourqueerstory. And if you would like to support the work we do or get exclusive content, check us out on patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. See you next week. Bye. Bye.